Well, once again, good morning, everyone. So excited to see you here this morning. This morning, we have just finished last week, and we continue this morning with a, an aspect of what we were discussing for the last several weeks, and that is this. When we look at chapters 24 and 25, especially chapter 25 of Matthew, you remember the context here in chapter 25 of Matthew is, and 24, sorry, is preparation for the return of the Messiah, preparation for the return of the King, preparation for the return of Jesus, the Son of Man, how to be prepared. And so he gives us various examples of how we are to be prepared. And so you remember this. He says, be ready, be vigilant, be watching. And so in order to do that, he gives us some signs that will indicate the nearness or the proximity of his return. And as I've said a couple of times, the burden of Jesus is not to date his return. Okay, he's going to get here on September 23rd on, in the year 2000, whatever, and this is going to happen and that's going to happen, and the Antichrist is that person, whatever. But he gives us these signs not so much to date his return as to do what? State his return. Now, is it wrong to be prepared and be looking at signs and trying to understand these things? No. But the emphasis is not upon the signs themselves, but upon what the signs indicate, what they are there for. Their purpose is to say that the king is ready. And in that nearness, and this nearness begins on the day of Pentecost, this nearness of the Lord's return. This begins then. So for every person born in the kingdom of God, the nearness of the Lord's return is an immediate or should be an immediate uh, uh, revelation and immediate anticipation. Amen? How should we, how are we to be prepared? We are to be prepared by good deeds. You remember? Good deeds. You remember some of the parables that Jesus gave. The talents, the good use of talents. The ten virgins being prepared to have oil in your lamp. The servants of the master who fed the, his other servants. And so you remember that. And then the quintessential revelation of being prepared is in chapter 25, verses 31. Is it 30 to 41? Uh, I think 30 to 45. And what is this? All of the preparation that Jesus has spoken about in these other parables, how to get ready, what to be doing, is summed up in this, as you have done it unto the least of one of these, Matthew 25, 40. And I said, you must get these two verses in your mind. You, we must know these two verses. As you have done it unto the least of one of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And then verse 45, the negative of that, as you have not done it unto the least of one of these, my brethren, you have not done it unto me. And then in verse 46, the result, those who have not lived that way are banished from the Lord's presence. Those who have lived this way are accepted into his presence. Therefore, what we are seeing in these verses, in these examples of Jesus, and Jesus is the one who's giving us these things. 
is that the judgment of God has to do with deeds. With deeds. And as a believing church, we need to make sure that what we do, thought, word, and deed, is not ancillary. You know what I mean by ancillary? A side issue. But is central to our salvation and is central to our eternal walk with, uh, our present walk with God and our eternal home with God. So let's talk about that a little bit this morning because if I were to ask, are we saved by works? I think most people in here would say we're not. Is that correct? And the problem with that is there is a great misunderstanding here. We are, in fact, saved by works. Uh-oh, now we get into something where Davidson has created a dichotomy here which should not be created, where grace is absolutely free of works. That's not correct. We have to define our terms. We have to make sure that we are speaking biblically, that we are not just including general thoughts and conceptions and including these things into our terminology so that when we share the gospel or we understand the gospel, we're getting it in a more sloppy way, but we want to be as accurate as we can. What's your name again? Chris Spencer has something to do with dentistry. What do you do? What is your specialty? No, what is your specialty? Tell me your specialty. Time is ticking. Tell me your specialty. Go ahead. Oral, oral facial pain, or whatever it is. Oral facial pain. That means that when you look at me, you get a pain in your neck. And you see, the doctor here has to be very specific in treating his patients. He just can't be sloppy. He has to have defined definitions, specific definitions, etc., and use these terms specific. Am I right? So let's do it. From these verses and passages which we've already gone through, and I'm going to try to get through this, and I, if you would stay with me, even if I go over a little bit today. From these passages that we've just talked about, we understand that the reality of our salvation is directly connected with our deeds. For instance, and I don't know when Evan makes the notes what is included in that or not, but in 2 Corinthians 5.10, do you have that in your notes? Now, what does it say? Look, we... First of all, who is the we? Who is the we? Paul and all the other believers. You understand, we, Paul is saying this to the church, so he's including himself. We all what? Must appear before the judgment or the beam of seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has. What's that word? Kit, what was that word, coach? What he has done, deeds, for what he has done in the body, whether they are what? Good or evil. God classifies every deed, every thought, every word, and every deed, everything, activity about our life in one or of two categories. Every deed is either a deed is either good or it's what? Evil. 
There ain't no middle ground. There's no gray in God. So whatever we're thinking, whatever we're doing, whatever our motivation is, whatever we're saying, wherever we're going, whatever it is about my life and in your life is classified by God and is judged by God as either good or what? Evil. Do we get that? Everything. So Paul and the rest of the church. Remember, as we saw in Matthew 40 and 45, what he has done in the body. Remember that? He says what he's done in the body, whether good or evil, in 2 Corinthians 5.10. In, in, in the uh, parable that we just saw about the, the great uh, judgment, as you've done it unto the least of one of these, every good deed ministers to Jesus. Every evil deed opposes Jesus. Do we see that? Every good deed is collected into Matthew 25, 40. Every evil deed is collected into Matthew 25, 45. Can we think this way? I need to hear from you. I need to know whether you're with me on this. I need to know that today. I'm not looking for personal approbation. I just need to know as a class. This is a classroom. I'm a teacher. I was a teacher. And if in the classroom generally, I could stop the whole thing and give a test and find out whether you're listening and whether you're understanding. But I can't do that in here. I can do it, but next week we wouldn't have anybody in here. John and crew would be the only ones in here. Now, but, but listen to this. But when we read Matthew 2, I'm sorry, Romans 2, 6 and 8, and Matthew 7, 21, it seems to indicate that our works have something to do with determining our standing before God. Listen to this, Romans 2, 6 and 8. <clears throat> God will render to each one according to his, I can't hear you, works. To those who by patience and in well-doing seek for glory and honor and mortality, he will give eternal life. Eternal life there is based on your what? Come on, I know we don't like to say it, but what is it based on? It makes us choke. The reason it makes us choke because we have misunderstood some things. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, underline that word, obey the truth. Underline that word, obey the truth. Underline that word, obey the truth. But obey unrighteousness, therefore truth meaning what? Righteousness. Do we get the comparison? There will be wrath and fury. So what determines wrath and fury or eternal life? Whether you're obeying the truth or whether you're obeying unrighteousness. Do, do we see that? We don't like these verses because we don't understand what the apostle is saying in a larger context than just that verse. He's coming out of a very large context when he uses this verse. Look, listen to Matthew 7, 21. Who's speaking? Jesus is speaking. Well, you know, I can get it. Yeah, Paul didn't know everything. He, you know, he just made some mistake. But this is Jesus himself. I just go with the words of Jesus. I'm just with the words of Jesus. Okay, listen. Now, to everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, I believe you, Lord. I believe you, Lord. He says, and everybody who say that is coming into the kingdom of God. But those who what? Look at you. Look at your verse. Those who what? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Do what? Do. Do deeds work? Work what? Those who do the will of my Father. 
those who obey God. And we're beginning to see that works are central, that they're not peripheral. But the question is, well, I'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself. But you see, we hear that. Then immediately, what verse comes to your mind? Now, come on, come on, come on, think, church. What verse comes to your mind when I just said works are central to your salvation? Tammy, what verse comes to your mind? I can't hear you. Yell it out, kid. Talk to me like you used to talk to Evan when he was misbehaving. Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8 comes to my mind, Murph. Wait a minute. Ephesians 2.8 contradicts that. Now, let me say this. Malachi 3.6 says what? I'm God. I don't make any mistakes. I don't change. Did we get that? Jim, did you get that? God doesn't change. What does that mean? That every word in the Word of God, every thought of God, every expression of God, every whatever of God is absolutely consistent with every other word, thought, etc. Am I right? Do we get this? So, therefore, there cannot be a discontinuity between Ephesians 2.8 and Matthew 7.21 or Romans, what was it? What was the verse I gave you? I forgot, just in. Say it again. Oh, that's right, two, six through eight. I had the number six in, my, in the front of my mind. I knew that wasn't right. That's why I had to stop. I need your help, Brenda. Now, there's no discontinuity, Al. Raul, there's no discontinuity. There are too many who don't understand the Word of God and try to create or say that there is discontinuity and therefore try to readjust God's Word to make it consistent. We don't have to do that. The problem is we must understand the Word of God and the usages and the context of these statements. Doesn't this verse, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace have you been saved through faith and what? And that not of your own, but it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. <clears throat> Ephesians, not a result of works. I'm sorry, lest any man should boast. So, there are the two verses. Do not read Ephesians 2.8 without 2.9. Do not read Ephesians 2.8 without 2.9. Do I have to say that again? Do not read what? Ephesians 2.8 without Nine, because if you read Ephesians 2.8 alone, you will misunderstand. Because the context of Ephesians 2.8 is Ephesians 2.9. The whole thing goes together. So, doesn't this mean that our salvation is not a result of works? That's what we would say. Gerald, we would say that. Patrice, we probably would say that. Perry would say that. Isn't grace free of our works? Does it give the answer there that I have in my notes? What is it? Isn't grace free of our works? Yes. No. Yes. Thank God, yes. Thank God, no. Yes and no. Depending on, on the definition the use, the context, the kind of works we are talking about. Please get this. Paul is not, as we will see, denying works. He's denying 
specific types of works. Paul is not creating a distinction between grace and good works. There is no discontinuity between God's grace and God's work because God's grace is the work of God's love. Can you hear me? Grace is God's work in us. Grace has to do with works. Not any kind of works, but a specific kind of work by a specific person who has worked those works, whose name is Jesus Christ. So you see, the grace of God has come to us through the work of Christ. Don't we normally say the person and work of Christ? How many times have you heard us say that? If you go to Hebrews, you're going to see that. In the first ten and a half chapters of Hebrews, it's showing that Christ's person and his work are superior. There's no discontinuity. Christ and his work are unity or in unity. Not dis, you know, not disconnected. This should begin to say something to us. You see, Paul is distinguishing between the kinds of work in verse nine. Verse nine of what? Ephesians 2. Listen, Paul is distinguishing between the kinds of works in verse 9 that are not of grace and the kind of work. Did you notice I put S's and no S's? I do that because I'm an English teacher. He's distinguishing between the kinds of works that are not of grace in verse 9 and the kind of work that is of grace in, you know, is uh, the kind of work that is of grace. He's making a distinction. Let's look closer at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, what is grace? It's an unmerited gift. Don't you ever say it's a gift. Because it's confusing. It doesn't communicate. It's an unmerited gift. It's an unmerited gift. Unmerited by whom? The recipients. So, first of all, for by grace, an unmerited gift. You have been saved. It means you've been delivered, protected. What tense is it? Present, past, or future? Which tense is that? Past tense. How have we been saved by grace? When were we saved by grace? Through whom were we saved by grace? By the person of the Son of God in the incarnation in Jesus Christ who went to the cross and bore all the sin of all of God's people for all time. All of the sin for all of God's people. Notice I didn't say people. I said what, Darlene? God's people. For how long? For all time. Why do I say time? Because we are in a time-created uh, 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 dimension, if you would, season. When the Lord returns, time like we know it today won't exist. 
Not in the same way. And so when he said it is finished, John 19, 30, part of the meaning of that, what was finished? The payment is finished. It's been paid for. That's when believers were saved. Amen? Andy, right? Can you say amen? That's when we were saved. At the cross, we were saved. Okay, that's when we were saved. Now, look at the next one. Through is the Greek word dia, D-I-A. Through, through the means of, through the conduit of. You put that there to trip me, didn't you? <laughs> through the means of, or through the conduit, the channel of what? Faith. Faith is the word pistis, which means conviction, belief, reliance, fidelity, reception, embracement. And so that salvation, which was purchased at the cross, is given to me disconnected from my meritorious works. Did you get my terminology, meritorious works? And you'll understand why I said meritorious in a moment. My self-meritorious works. And how do I receive it? By believing, by receiving, by embracing. That's called what? Faith. And then he says what? Faith is what? It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. It's the same charis. It's the same gift. It's an unmerited gift. He gives it to you. There are some who say that they believe that everybody in the world is born with a modicum of faith. You know what modicum means? A little bit, a measure. Everybody in the world has a measure of faith. And because of that, anybody has, everybody has the ability to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. It just depends whether they want to or not. That's full. That's fukabu. Well, that's in the Bible. Isn't it in the Bible that everyone has a measure of faith? It is and it isn't. So what does Paul say to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 3? Everyone among you, to whom is he speaking? Judy, to whom is he speaking? To the church. Everyone among you, all the believers, to each one of believer, to each believer, has been given the measure of what? Faith. So what does Romans 10, 17 say? Faith does what? Does it say faith resides or faith comes? Which one does it say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God or Christ, whichever your version may say. So we, none of us have faith. We must be given faith by the gift of God. Is it the free gift of God? Yes and no. It's given to us free of something in and about ourselves, but it's given to God at the highest price to Himself. Amen? We have to use these terms accurately. Accurately. Grace is not free. Grace is free. Well, River, how can we say that? We must explain what we mean by each terminology, correct? Is it correct to say grace is free? Yes, within the context of what? Free of my meritorious works. Is it right to say grace is free in relation to God's gift? No. It cost him the death of his son. Does this help our thinking? 
Where am I? Oh, verse 9, not a result of works. It means, the word ergon means works, deeds, actions. Not the result of works. Okay, now, so that no one may boast, meaning what? The word boast there means to take for or in order to take or to receive approbation. It means to do something for the purpose of personal aggrandizement. What in the world does that mean? It means that I'm somebody, don't you see? It means I did something, and I'm proud of myself. God's going to pat me on the back. It means no boasting. Kenneth, do you get that? No boasting. No boasting. You see, the question is, how should the phrase, not the result of works, be understood? It's a gift, not a result of works. Do you see that in verse 9? It's a gift, not a result of works. Okay, how are we to look at that? How are we to understand not a result of works? Paul is not saying that faith is free of any work. Can you get that? That's this essential. Otherwise, he would be contradicting the Word of God in James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 and 26. Yeah, but you see, James was a legalist. There is no discontinuity in the Word of God, Malachi 3, 6. Amen? If it's the Word of God, it comes from the same divine being who does not change. There is no variableness or change in God. He is a constant and therefore, every word he speaks is constantly the same truth. So, listen to this word from James. So, faith by itself, if it does not have, what's that word? Works is what? Dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Look at verse 26. Faith without or separate from works is dead. So now I think what we need to begin to see is this. I understand that people typically say faith and works. I don't like that. Why? Because when you use the coordinate conjunction and, remember your coordinate conjunctions, and, or, nor, but, for, yet. All of you knew that. The coordinate conjunction and joins two equal things. So I can use that as an English teacher correctly. Faith and works. Because I'm using it in a way that I understand the vocabulary, the, the, uh, the, the conjunction. I know what I'm saying, Billy. I don't know whether everybody does, and I think that what happens is when we say faith and works, we make two different things of them, and they're not. They are not. They are two sides of the same kern. Now, from those of you who are not from New Orleans, kern means coin. <laughs> the fellows from Nigeria say, what's a kern? It's a coin. But New Orleanians, you know, we have very close veins, not varicose. We say your mom and them. What is that? We say arthritis. 
don't we say these things, some of us? You see, Paul is saying that faith for salvation is free of only one kind of work. What is it? Of boasting works. Do you see that? Paul is specifying that faith as God's gift is free of any kind of man-centered, man-generated, man-objected, objective-motivated work. It's free of that. Do we get that? So when the apostle says it's free of works, what does he mean? Of any work? No. It can't be because faith and works are one and the same. He's talking about a particular category of works. All our works or deeds, we said of what? Good or evil. Good works are always classified and generated by God Himself. Can you say amen to that? Evil works are always classified and generated by me, myself. God's work which are good, God's works which are good are always generated for the purpose of God glorification. My works which are evil are always generated for the purpose of self-boasting. Don't you see? Do we see the distinction? Does everybody get this? It's important that we get it. Otherwise, you're going to leave the class saying, oh, my God, Peter has just undermined the Christian faith of 2,000 years. <laughs> you see, Paul is not denying the existence of any kind of work in our salvation. He is distinguishing between the work of God's gift of faith in our salvation as opposed to the boasting work of man for or in our salvation. That's what he's doing. Paul knows that genuine biblical faith is always. May I repeat that? Paul knows that genuine biblical faith is always. May I say it one more time? Bibl genuine biblical faith is what? Always the gift of God's own work. Deposited in us as a gift with which we are to cooperate and walk in. Do we see this? Anton, do you see this? Anybody see Steve back there? Do you see it? I can't hear you. Yeah, Jim, do you see it? Bob? Oh, I'm sorry, I woke you up. Bob, do you see it? Ephesians 2.9, Paul's emphasis is upon any work that can produce man-centered boasting as excluded from salvation for the purpose of being saved or even for the purpose of walking with God after being saved. Only two kinds of works, good and evil. Good work is always God-generated for His glory, for His self-boasting. <gasps> Can God boast? Oh, yes. How can he do it without being sinful? Because it's true. Correct? And for him not to boast is incorrect, untrue. But when we do works on our own, they're evil. Why? Because they're self-boasting. 
And that's wrong. Why? Because it's not true. We have nothing in ourselves with which to boast, for which to boast, in which we boast. Listen to this, First Thessalonians. Wait, Paul knows that genuine faith is always a gift of God, as I said. Okay, First Thessalonians 1.3, remembering before our God and your Father and Father, your what? Your what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Your work of what? Faith. Work pertaining to or of, joined to, connected with faith. Your work of faith. Oh, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I didn't know that faith and works were that way connected. Well, certainly they are. Listen to First, Second Thessalonians 11, 1, 11 and 12. To this end, we will always pray for you that our God may make you worthy, may make you worthy of His calling, may make you worthy. You see where that worthy is a sense has to do with boasting. We're not boast. We can't boast. We can't be worthy. But He makes us worthy. We don't become worthy. He makes us worthy, that He may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every, every what? Work of faith. Okay, I, I, by His power. I had a trouble getting it out of my mouth, you see. Listen, biblical faith is always the work of faith. Are we beginning to dawn on us what we're talking about today? Is our salvation received devoid of faith. Come on, I can't hear you. It can't be. It can't be. Okay, God save me. Just going to sit here and let it osmosize into me. Do you know what osmosis is? You didn't? How do you like that? Osmosize. What does that mean? From the greater to, I'm sorry, from the lesser to the what? Greater. Is it from the lesser to the greater or greater to the lesser? From the greater to the lesser concentration. Old people think so certain ways. And so, it's not that our salvation is osmosized from the greater, from God, into us kind of. No. It's that God's salvation is received by our. What's that word? Work of faith. How many of you were saved when you did something? How many of you received Christ? So you didn't do anything when you received Christ? You weren't making a decision? You weren't accepting something? You weren't surrendering? You weren't? You're not saved. How many of you were saved when you did something? I saw a couple of hands kind of going out like that. You're going to have to oil this hand. What did I do? I said, yes. I did something. But is that something, something in which I can boast because it's my personal, indigenous, self-generated decision? No. It is a gift of God. Biblical faith is always the work of faith. This means that faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. See, Jesus also stressed the meaning of faith. Listen to this. 
John 6, 28 and 9. Wonderful, wonderful passage. These fellows came up to Jesus and said, what must we do to do the works of God? You hear the boasting? This is the we do that is eliminated in Ephesians 2, 9. Lord, you see that? What must I do, we do, to do the works of God? And what does Jesus say? For this is the work of God. What's the work of God? What's the work of God? What does he say? Somebody read the passage. I don't even know what I'm talking about. What is the work of God, Kenneth? Oh, man, Kenneth, that you have what? Faith or faith, believe in him in whom the Father has sent. In whom? Jesus. What is the work of God? What is the work of God? Eddie? It's receiving, believing in Christ. That's the work of God. And that's not only the work of God that initiates our salvation in us. It's the work of God that continues our sanctification. It's the same faith. They're not two different faiths. Faith to be saved and then you have faith to live. It's the same faith. The same faith that initiates us into the kingdom of God by the grace gift of God to us and in us is the same faith, the same work that propels us to the end, that keeps us to the end. This is the work of God, that you believe in Him. The same word believe, faith in Him. That's why I said faith. Believe, it's a pisteo. It's the same word, faith, that you believe in Him whom God has sent. And whom has God sent? Jesus Christ. So now we see that the faith that God gives in Ephesians 2.8 is His work in us to receive His grace in Christ for our salvation. So what does John 1.13 say? To as many as what? received him. To them he gave the authority to become the sons of God, even to those who believed in his name. In other words, his person, his character, his work. We have to do something. But the doing of it is not indigenous. You don't mean my indigenous is not birthing me naturally. It's not indigenous to me. It's foreign to me, Floyd. It's foreign to me. It's an element. It's an activity. It's an ability, a desire that is foreign to me as a natural man, and it must be given to me from external, from outside of me by God who deposits in me His own will, His own ability and desire by the Spirit for me to receive Christ for my salvation, which then when I receive that through being born again, regeneration, then when I am being regenerated, I receive that gift of faith and I respond, yes, but I must respond. That's my work of faith, my work that is in compliance with, in agreement with the gift that God has given me as I now am joined to and cooperate with the very work of God in saving me. It's a work, but not any old kind of work. It's the work of God. Where am I in here? This means that everyone who is born again, 
everyone who's born again has already been saved. <gasps> everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord has already been saved. Am I right or wrong? For by grace have you been saved, period. You're saved. The cross, the cross. John 19, 30. When were we saved? At the cross. When Jesus said it's finished and he gave up his spirit, God accepted that as a full forgiveness of all my sin and your sin and declared that we are his people forever. Let me go back to my comment. This means that everyone who's born again, everyone who calls upon on the name of the Lord, is calling upon the name of the Lord to apply and give to me that which has already been reality in his own heart and mind and has been accomplished by Christ. Correct? Do we see it? And there's no boasting in that. I can't get that by boastfulness. I get it by surrendering. And that surrendering is the consequence of having been given, given the ability and the desire. And it's called faith. It's called the work of God by the Holy Spirit. A good, chap, a good verse to, to read would be uh, Ezekiel 26, verses 25 to 27, just as a reference. So we receive it by faith. Look at Ephesians 3, 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts, how? Dia, pistos, through faith. That he may dwell in our hearts, how? By faith. By the work of God's work in me with which I agree. And that work which God gives to me is now my work, not my work uh, under, uh, deriv um, it's my work deriv derivatively. Do you know what I mean by that? It is given to me. God's work is underivative. It re exists in him because of who he is. God is the only one who works according to himself. It's not a derived work. All of our work is a derivative work. It's been given to us. So now it is my work or our work derivatively, R correct? Do we see this? So we can say, it's my work if I use the term my accurately. So is it my work? Yes and no. If you mean boasting, no. If you mean derivatively from God, what? Yes. Please let's share with one another and others this great gospel more accurately. You see, this work is free of any of our boasting. It's free of any of our boasting. Why is faith necessary? Because it all points to God. Correct? It all points to God. Any other kind of work points to me. And I must be given this work, this ability to point to God, that my life points to God and demonstrates God. I must be given that by God so now that I can work the works of God, not Underivatively, but what? Derivatively. As we know, those who are saved, as we know, we belong to Christ because we are doing the work of Christ. And we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave Himself for us. How do you know you're saved? You may be able to point 
and hopefully so. Some, most can, I think. Some cannot. It's okay. You may be able to point to a time when I said yes to Jesus. I heard the gospel. I realized I was a sinner. I realized I do not want to go to hell. Right? Anybody want to go to hell? Okay. And I called upon the name of the Lord to save me from that. And he saved me. That calling is the work of faith. How do you know whether that was a reality or whether it was just an emotional experience? Because there are many who do that, and it's not a reality from God. It's an emotional experience of the flesh. <gasps> yes, yes. So what's the quintessential proof of my salvation? The continuing work of God as I walk the walk with God. The root, faith, produces the fruit, works. And the works prove the fruit. The root produces the fruit. The fruit proves the root. Is this, is this rocket science? Anybody who's dug in a garden knows that. And that's what we're talking about. The root is God's work giving to me the ability and the desire. And what is the fruit? It's the work of my saying yes and then walking in that yes for the rest of my life. All to whose glory? To the glory of God. You see, our good deeds now prove. This is how I know I'm saved. This is how Peter Davidson knows he's saved. Not because I had an experience years ago, because when I was saved, it was just kind of like, oh, okay, I received Jesus. I was born again there. But, you know, it didn't, I didn't have much biblical teaching, so it kind of like, you know, sat there like a seed and not doing much. But then God changed my life in 1972 when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and everything changed. But how do I know I'm saved? Because of my experience? Yeah, yes, it has something to do with it. But the essential proof is in the fruit. And what fruit? Two fruit. I'm going a little bit beyond. Can I give a few more moments? There are two, two fruits, two fruits, two categories of fruit. You can write this down. It's not in your notes. Two categories of fruit. You, don't, you didn't pay for this when you came in. Two categories of fruit. There is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit, which displays the character of Christ. And then there are the gifts of the Spirit, they're not only, the only ones are not just in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 8. There are a few other places in Romans, Ephesians, and 1 Peter. <clears throat> and then the fruit of the, I'm sorry, what did I say? The, the gifts of the Spirit, which prove or demonstrate the work of Christ. These are the two categories of fruit. The work of Christ, the gifts, right? And the character of Christ, the fruit. And as I see that developing in my life, those two, 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 not just one, well, I want the fruit, but I don't care about the gifts. No, both, because God gives both. When I see both happening in my life, I know I'm saved. Why? Because unbelievers don't do this. Amen? Therefore, we can see the activity. We can, <clears throat> let me say this, as we see the activity of the work of God, you don't have to raise your hand, but inspect yourself right now. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith, the faith, the Christian faith. Examine yourself. Just for yourself. Do you see the proof 
of the ongoing work of God in your life. Can you say specifically? If you do, that's proof. If you don't, we need to talk about it. As we see the activity of work of God in and through us, we can have confidence that we are his children whose work of faith pleases him. Hebrews eleven six. for without faith it is impossible to please God because they must, those who have faith must believe that he exists, he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. King James says diligently seek him. So, within the context of biblical truth, can I say, I have received Christ by work. My work of what? Faith. Do we understand today? My work of faith. Next week, we'll get into chapter 26. Thank you.